Thank you for joining us on the Ranger for Life Amorley podcast with Tony Main. Amorley podcast is purpose built for America. Through our military veteran and military supporter guests, we show that the values and qualities that built this country, such as service, sacrifice, respect, and faith, are not dead. Amorley podcast builds community so individuals can improve their communities. Today, we are blessed to have Army Ranger veteran Timothy Spala as our guest. Tim is a class of 2022 Tillman Scholar and a champion for veteran mental health advancements. We can't wait to hear about Tim's journey and the creation of the Wounded Healer Project. But first, today we are recording from the Ranger Outreach Center at St. Luke Church in beautiful Uptown Columbus. The Rock is in the heart of St. is the heart of St. Luke's military ministry and serves all local active duty and veterans looking to lead a morally life. Ranger for Life is a proud supporter of Three Nails Clothing, a premium Christian active wear brand. Three Nails Clothing not only fits and looks great, it's a brand is designed to live your purpose. A portion of all sales supports Agape International Missions anti-human and sex trafficking program. By using the code Ranger at checkout, you'll receive 10% off and Ranger for Life receives a commission that we will donate right back into the work we do at The Rock. Check out Three Nails Clothing at threenailsclothing.com. And now without any further ado, Tim, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. And I want to dive right into the Wounded Healer Project, because that is what I saw on LinkedIn that just, we've got a ranger out there in mental health. Well, I work for a guy, Carl Monger, in the mental health space. What, the Wounded Healer Project, what is it? And then we'll dive into how you kind of got here. Sure. Awesome. Well, Tony, I want to say just before we get started, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, absolutely love what you're doing for the community. Uh, and I know I probably speak for a lot of guys. It means a lot to us uh, to think uh, that you're stepping up and providing this kind of forum uh, for rangers who are out there in the world getting stuff done. So appreciate it. Uh, okay, so the the Wounded Healer Project. Yeah, um, and it's it's been great to connect with you over that uh, and then trying to tell a little bit of that story. But um, and, and we'll get into the details, I'm sure. But uh, I'm just coming to the end of a mental health, clinical mental health counseling program out here in Denver at Regis University, which uh, I could never have imagined three years ago uh, what that journey was going to entail and what it was going to require of me uh, to, to go through all that. Uh, it's one thing to seek uh, mental health support from a qualified provider. It's an entirely another thing to try to become a qualified provider. Uh, and all the, the, the broken and shattered parts that, that came out through that process. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful and tragic things I think I've ever experienced. And, and when I look back on the experience, uh, what really sticks out to me uh, and really became the genesis for the for the nonprofit, the Wounded Healer Project, is the fact that uh, there were there were a couple of veterans in the program. Uh, there never really felt like there was a community around it, even though it was kind of like that unspoken thing in the room when there was veterans, you know, and we're in a class or, or doing some type of experimental or experiential learning. 
it's just there was so much there that wanted to be expressed but didn't. And there was like this community that we knew was there, but we really just didn't push it. Uh, like we didn't, we didn't really come together as I would have expected. And I think what it resulted for a lot of us was this sense of isolation going through. It's not just an academic program for a veteran. This is a healing journey. Uh, if you're going to try to get this kind of degree, right. And, and go for this kind of education and the thought of so many of us going through that process, feeling alone or isolated or left up to our own devices to fight back the demons that are that are that are coming up throughout the throughout the experience. Uh, I had a great friend uh, who, in the middle of this journey, she was actually one of the other veterans at the school. Her name's uh, Tegan Rowley, and she she tried to to build that community. She tried to build a veteran mental health health community within Regis. Didn't really take, we didn't really get very deep into what this could be and the potential of it. Um, but she became one of my best friends and she became someone who helped me get through. And, and it just solidified this idea that if we don't have to face it alone, if there's someone there that can help us kind of pull us through a, a really difficult patch and, I tell you, in the last three years, it's been difficult patch after difficult patch after difficult patch. And there were times there where she was one of the people that just kind of put a hand out and pulled me up. And, and it stuck with me. Uh, I, I can understand the power of that kind of gesture. Uh, and, and, and it's actually Tegan and I who together kind of came around this idea of what if we were to try to create something a little more formal that would encompass this experience. Like how do we take this experience of one veteran helping another pull through this struggle so we can all make it out on the other side and get out there in the world and help people. If that was to look like anything, what would it look like? And so we kind of bounced ideas around and, and we came on, kind of landed on the Wounded Healer Project and what it stands for, which basically is to identify uh, and bring together veterans who want to get into the mental health field, whether it's transitioning military or veterans out in the community looking for something, uh, you know, a career that can serve them in another way. Uh, and then the, the, the building community around it is this idea of, you know, kind of like you're having a battle, battle buddy, right? Like you don't have to go through this alone. And for anybody who's anything like me, I thought when I was signing all those papers to go to Regis, I was just going to get this degree and then, hey, I'm, I'm going to go out in the field and I'll give this mental health thing a try. I had no idea how difficult this journey was going to be. I, it was like ranger school, <laughs> truly, like just an extended, prolonged, painful ranger school, uh, but all right here, right? And and so the idea is we're, we want to help guys, men and women, pull through this. And because we know when we get, when the veteran gets to the other side, and not to knock any other community of veterans out there, but or uh, mental health providers, but veterans are my community, so that's where we're going back to. There's nothing like a veteran mental health counselor. Like when you've lived it, when you have lived in the pain and suffering, and you get to a point where you've come to grips and healed and have you know take power from those experiences, what you can give to the world and others who are suffering is such a unique thing. And we believe that's worth investing in. We believe that's worth building community around. We believe it's worth advocacy. Um, 
And then where we see kind of the so what of this is on the other end. Uh, and this comes out of a, a very specific experience I had uh, throughout my internship. Uh, I spent a year and a half working with the Colorado Department of Corrections as a mental health counselor. Uh, and what I found very quickly in that experience is, A, it tested me in ways I could have never imagined trying to hold space in a facility like that with so many damaged lives and the suffering and pain that exists inside there. But I wasn't prepared for how um, motivated someone would be to talk to a veteran mental health counselor. Like when they found out that I was a veteran and when they found out I was a ranger, it was like, it was on, right? But like when they found out I was a veteran, it was like this instant rapport, this instant sense of trust. I'm safe with this person. Like, and, and, and it kept happening. It, I mean, over and over again, guys would want to get together or, or I work with women there as well. And what they were willing to, the places they were willing to go, I couldn't help but feel it was because they had this tether to a vet, a guy who's been there and done that, right? And and they know they can go deep into these places because if they need me, I'm going to get them out. Like I'll help them get out kind of thing. And it was just a very enlightening uh, experience. And that really is what solidified kind of the second part of our mission, which is once we get these rain or once we get these soldiers and veterans through mental health uh, programs, how do we pair them with agencies that are serving really high need, high trauma and marginalized communities? The ones that need us most, right? Like, cause a veteran ain't scared to go in a homeless camp. A veteran ain't scared to go into, uh, you know, uh, um, a detention facility. Like vets aren't scared of those places. As a matter of fact, we thrive in environments like We've that. We've been in worse, right? We've yeah, right. Exactly. And the, and the people, the men and women, that are waiting for us in there can feel it. It just, it's, you know, it's a felt sense for me. It's like words really don't do it justice, but I feel like when a vet mental health counselor is sitting in the room, it's felt. There's a sense of safety there. There's a sense of I can be vulnerable in this space uh, because this guy or this girl knows what they're doing and they're going to get me out if I, you know, get in a jam and I need some help. So, so that's really where we were at with the wounded healer. Uh, we're just getting off the ground. Uh, we just came into formation a couple, maybe two months ago. Uh, so we're really kind of still getting our ducks in order and forming relationships and, and have ha, been having some great conversations in the last couple of weeks. A lot of people, the mission really seems to resonate. Uh, and we hope to, uh, to capture some of that momentum and, and keep moving forward with it. Well, Tim, we, we know that the data shows that if you get veterans into counseling, that they will be able to help other veterans and probably mm -hmm. statistically provide a higher level of care. Because once a counselor looks like the person being helped, that's that's the number one thing. And we have a gap, right? We have a lack of veteran mental health counselors. Yeah. The best would be a one for it would always be a one to one. That yeah. would be the best case scenario. And you're working through that. But to do that, you know, just named a 2022 Tillman Scholar. Tell me about that experience and how you think that will play in, in, into what you're trying to achieve. Uh, well, I'm <laughs> I'm hoping it helps out. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think as I was going through the Tillman selection process, we had not been public about the Wounded Healer Project yet. 
Uh, and as a matter of fact, they didn't know about that until I informed them just a couple weeks ago. Uh, which well done, by the way, in your timing. Well done. Yeah. Get in. <laughs> I figured I'd, hit, I'd hook them first and then drop it. <laughs> uh, no, really the same. I mean, this is a community of veterans. And, and when it comes to the Tilden community, there's something so unique and special about these individuals being uh, in Chicago uh, this past weekend or, or the weekend before. I just the 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 power that is in this room, if you could imagine, there must have been 100 or so Tillman scholars there. And every one of them is out there just crushing it, changing the world in their own way. And, you know, as I'm sitting there just completely humbled, like, what am I doing here? Like, right, going through all the all the all the math in my head, like, what am I even doing here? And and it dawned on me um, throughout the course of that experience, like uh, these are individuals that are motivated, right? Like they're, whatever's motivating them, good, bad, gray, it doesn't matter. They are motivated to get out there and make a difference. And I'm really coming along to the idea of like, whatever I end up doing, it will only be because I'm motivated at it. And to be in that kind of community and the amount of inspiration you can take from them, the their their the basis for my Tillman scholarship uh, uh, um, acceptance was more along the lines of plant medicine and and trauma psychology, uh, and that is just really you know part. Of, it's been part of my journey. We can talk about that if you want, uh, but where I stand when it comes to the tools that we have available to us, uh, whether it's through plant medicine or meditation or breath work, it really doesn't matter. But there's another space here where we can go work. We can do this, right? Like uh, I, I, it's transpersonal psychology to me, the, you know, the mystical spiritual space where, you know, you and I can step inside of a container and everything else dissolves. And in there, it's just you and me. And that's where this work happens. That's where this vulnerability happens. That's where we, we, you know, the process of transformation and growth takes place. And to think that the Tillman Foundation would invest in my pursuit of trying to bring that kind of uh, trauma work to the masses. I mean, whatever that looks like, you know, at some point, um, it's, it's truly an honor. Uh, and, and I know there's a couple of other folks in the space in the Tillman community, but to think that uh, they would think enough of that, of that goal, of that mission to bring me in and advocate on my behalf and help pay for my education. It's, it's such an incredible honor. Uh, and so I know whatever I make of this, uh, you know, I got a lot of folks cheering for me. And that, I think, is probably one of the most incredible things about the community. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Talk to a guy who's fixing the rover on Mars. I talked to another uh, individual, one of the most incredible individuals as I've ever met, just came back from Afghanistan after uh, sitting in Taliban detention for 105 days, trying to get refugees out. And it's like this, the, the, the breadth of work that's being done in that community, it doesn't even matter what you're doing. You know that you have the full support of the foundation, of your fellow scholars. Like it's just, it's so motivating to think that all of us are there to support each other and, and something I'm incredibly grateful for. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see how it plays out uh, as we move forward. Well, I, I do want to go back to, to what you will be kind of researching um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of adding to the body of knowledge on plant-based medicine. So mm -hmm. for folks listening in, 
So Tim's background is an in intelligence. And if you spend time in special operations, data drives decisions. Hunches and feelings are great when they're based <laughs> on data. Right? And we find a lot of special operators now that are in the plant space. And it's not all the for-profit um, companies, although, although we, we do have several because they believe in the data that shows that if you are going to take some type of medicines, it just happens to be you can sometimes self-medicate by doing some research with something better than what has been prescriptive because that's the way it's always been. So just kind of lay out for us, what what are you thinking? Where do you think your studies will take you when it comes to plant-based? <laughs> well, I found a way to talk about this and try to incorporate all the politics around the issue and some of the sensitivities. So bear with me if I sound like a, a bit of a, a used car salesman here. But uh, my thought is, and, and my plan as it stands now, uh, and you, you, you know this, most of us do, unless you've got you know a DR or a PhD in front of your name, it's really hard to get people to, to listen, right? It's really hard to be seen as an authority on anything. And although I'm very far from being authority on anything, I also know that pursuing this PhD program in transpersonal psychology, I would just be reading all these books anyway in my pastime. So why not just <laughs> why not get a degree, right? Like this is my life. This is where I live now. Um, but my plan and, 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 and what I hope to, the place I hope to get with this education. So as we spoke earlier, transpersonal psychology, it very much is the study of the mystical, the spiritual, that numinous space that exists all around us that you, you have to be very deliberate and intentional in trying to get there, right? But like once you see it and once you've experienced it, it's accessible. I tell folks all the time, you know, I... I've done plant medicine work. I've sat in, in quite a few ceremonies, but I am to the point now where I know that the medicine is inside me. It's always been right. Like I get to these spaces, just meditating. It's not even, I don't have to go into a medicine ceremony to be able to sit in silence and observe what's coming up for me, which, you know, for someone who has, you know, dealt with trauma, you know, early childhood, all the way through, through military and, and post-military professional, it's hard to sit in silence. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. Um, and to be able to sit in that space, to me, it doesn't even necessarily require plant medicine at this point, uh, which is something I'm particularly proud of uh, on this journey. But my thought is we've got a lot of questions, a lot of questions at the federal level, at the state level, even at the local level of what are we ever going to be able to do with these medicines? Are they ever going to be legitimized? Are we ever going to be able to do these? Can you do enough testing and get enough data to be able to form some baseline that we can make predictions on what's going to happen to someone if they do this? Which, in my personal opinion, it's impossible. A plant medicine experience is so hyper-individualized. It is so uh, really it comes out of your own soul. Like there's no way to get some mass produced data, right? There's no way to find a baseline. It is you revealing itself to you. Uh, and it's truly amazing. And so my thought is we could wait forever for all those, uh, you know, all that criteria to get met and all that data to be accumulated. 
then maybe we will. Uh, but what I want to do is get to the point where I can hold the space regardless of what happens. Because for a therapist, for a counselor, for a mental health uh, professional who wants to support people that are on that journey or feel called to that journey, I don't have to, I don't have to administer the medicine. I'm not a shaman. That's a completely different educational track, right? My goal is, if I can, get to the point where I am good enough to be able to prepare people for the journey. And then once they go and do whatever medicine work they're going to do to be on that back end and, and catch them when they come out and help them integrate this. I mean, it's a shock to the system. It's a shock to the psyche what happens in these spaces. And there's a lot of information that comes from it. And really the work isn't getting to the point where you're taking the medicine and the work isn't surviving the ceremony. The work is taking all these downloads and putting them into practice in your life. And actually changing, you know, what needs to be changed, letting go of what needs to be let go, and really just living to your fullest potential. And for me, I feel I'm lucky enough. I've had a lot of support out here as I've gone on this journey. I've met some incredibly wonderful people um, who are just skilled and years of experience in this kind of stuff. And it allowed me a space to really become a more real version of me. And, and when, I, when I try to explain the process to folks, it's like, imagine that mask you wear around all day long. Uh, it's just the you that you've always known. It, just imagine for a moment being able to take that off in a completely safe and vulnerable way and be able to do work in that space. And that's the space that I wanna be able to hold as a mental health professional for folks who find their way to the medicine, whether they're called or get a prescription from a doctor or whatever have you. Uh, but my thought is my value to this, to this medicine is I just need to be able to hold the space. I don't ever need to be in a position where I'm giving the medicine to someone or providing them access to it. Right. Even though I would, you know, I fully believe if it was ever legal uh, uh, and, you know, a lawful way to do that, I would, course i would be like yeah you know <laughs> i would love to uh but my thought is i will hedge my bets on there are going to be a whole lot of people that are going to find their way to this space whether it's legal or not and i want to be someone who can sit there uh and they can feel safe and and vulnerable enough to work with me with whatever happens tim this is it we will love to follow what comes out of your journey as a tillman scholar mm -hmm. and what what will come out of the wounded healer project but all this touchy-feely stuff, okay, so. <laughs> so how did we get here, Ranger? How, how did we get, right, to, to a point? Because um, I think we're very similar in our love for mm -hmm. our fellow man, the idea that we are meant to be in community. Isolation mm -hmm. is the number one sign of that there, there, there is something wrong with you chemically, emotionally, if you want to isolate, because we're not meant to. Yeah. Um, our, although all of our defense mechanisms will let us do that. So okay. just talk us through a little, like how, how did you get to this place? Because you very successful civilian career after staying kind of in, in, in the intelligence world, a, a very great, I don't say great transition, but a very smooth in terms of the type of work you were doing. So mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit, like kind of like how you got to this space, because sure. it sounds you, know, you got out in 2009 that there was like maybe this great departure and you woke up one day and you know it's been part of your journey. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Uh, it, it's been, 
it's been a wild ride. Uh, and, and only recently, I think I've come to a point where I'm able to see the meaning in all of it. And it's been such a wonderful opportunity to look back on all those places and, and all those experiences. Uh, as you mentioned, I got out in 2009, uh, not really sure what I was going to do. Uh, uh, my, my last couple of deployments were, were pretty wild. And I remember we, we got home like maybe June 1st of 2009 by June 15th. I had all my stuff loaded in my car and I was driving back to, to my folks' place in Iowa. Right. And it's like, wow, what a, <laughs> what a transition plan. Right. And, and not really a hundred percent sure what's going to come next. Uh, and, and just had some really, uh, powerful experiences in that, in that early time after, after ETS. And, um, and, Got a got a phone call, uh, you know, asking me to to go back over uh, with another unit, and and two months after I left Iraq for what I thought was the last time, I'm I'm right back. I'm sleeping in the same building, <laughs> uh, and it's one of those things where you start to think, what is I, I mean, what is my identity? Like, what am I? Because uh, I'm not even here as a ranger anymore, right? And 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 that really kicked off what would become probably a. 10 or 12 year identity crisis, right? And, and just the journey that that took me on. Um, eventually, I would uh, uh, move out of the, the Iraq rotations and started working with a unit where I was doing a lot of work in East Africa and the AP, we were working some CT missions over there. And that was, I'd never been to Africa in my life. I never, I mean, I always thought about it growing up, right? And Certainly had all the National Geographic magazines and the maps and everything around my room, but I'd never even been there. Uh, and it was such a powerful experience for me. And I'm a backpacker by trade. I, I was a college kid before the military, backpacked all around Central America, and had these amazing experiences. But there was something different about this. And you go back to kind of the cradle, right? And that kicked off a 10-year journey uh, that took me everywhere from, you know, the border of Somalia to South Africa to Mali and really everywhere in between. Uh, and it started out as really counterterrorism work focused, taking a lot of the skills and techniques that I learned in battalion, a lot of the relationships uh, that I built in that time and going out there and just continuing with the CT fight. Uh, I tell folks, you know, Iraq was such a profound experience for me, but the identity crisis that came out of it basically flung me to the edges of the empire. And that's where I lived for a decade, just tooling around, trying to find purpose, trying to make meaning of this whole powerful experience uh, and did CT for quite a few years. Um, I mean, really everything from Somalia all the way to Mali. Uh, and I mean, it's one thing to like... <laughs> you know, read about the, the Congo, right, in a magazine. It's another thing to, you know, drop in and and live there and, like, be sure. there, right? And, and, and it was actually that process of just all these amazing places. I had never appreciated wildlife, truly appreciated wildlife. I grew up on a dairy farm. farm animals have always been an aspect of my life, a central aspect, even my identity. But wildlife is a little different story. I just, I never had any real kind of bond 
and then I started working in Africa and you're surrounded by it, right? Like the rawness of it, the beauty of it. Uh, and it was, a, it was a trip to Garamba National Park uh, where we were, we were tracking a militia that was active there and they were decimating the elephant population. Uh, I mean, imagine like 100,000 elephants over the course of a couple of years is like 30,000 and it's just more and more, right? Uh, and I've, I could get into all of that uh, maybe another time, but, but what brought me there was the CT work. Uh, but I left there with this profound sense of, I feel this call to do something about wildlife trafficking and poaching. And granted, I'm no conservationist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert in any of that stuff. But one thing I do feel like I have some credentials is, is I can find bad guys. I can help roll up networks. I can figure out rat lines. I can figure out TTPs. Like, and I don't care. How, the more remote, the better. It's more interesting that way, right? Like, I don't care what technologies they're using. I don't care what routes they're taking. I can figure that stuff out. And when I when I probe the folks up there, there was a couple of NGOs working in the area. It was one of those things. I'm like, hey, you know, do you have any? Are there any guys like me, you know, in this space? Like, could you use someone like me? Would I would I be able to help? And and it was one of those things. Where it was like, yeah, like, yeah, it would. This would be phenomenal. Like, uh, one of the biggest gaps in that comfort, you know, uh, conservation infrastructure is criminal network targeting, as you might imagine, right? Like, there's just not a lot of people that want to be conservationists that know a whole lot about, you know coin or, or counterinsurgents, like they don't know that stuff. So my thought was, can I bring some of these skills and, and techniques and technology? Of course, that was a learning curve going from classified spaces to everything's commercial off the shelf. And I'm trying to like, again, another conversation, I'll tell you how I cracked all those nuts. But um, the, the thought was, I feel a pull to do this. I have a unique set of skills that I would never have if I wasn't ever a ranger, if I hadn't done the stuff after I was in battalion. And I feel like my whole life has brought me to this point and it's telling me, go do something about the elephants. And that's what I did. I ended up, I was working for a really good company at the time, but I just, it was one of those things where I'm like, I feel this so strongly. I just got to pursue it, whatever happens. So I started my own company in 2015, uh, started working with some folks, uh, a non- uh, a conservation nonprofit who is running a counter poaching program in Kenya and basically set up uh, almost like sent MIT teams out there. Got a, got some guys from command and we went out there and helped build intelligence and, and, and investigative capacity in like the hinterlands of Kenya, right? Trying to go after these poaching networks uh, and really just trying to take them down just like we were taking the networks down uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Spent a couple years doing that, learned a a lot of hard lessons, a lot of hard lessons living out in the sticks. Uh, for anybody who's been in Kenya, I ate my weight in Ugali. Uh, and that'll make sense to anyone who's been in, in Kenya who's listening to this. Um, but it was, I mean, we were on patrol constantly and, and we were setting up uh, like a fusion cell in their headquarters. And then we were basically pushing the, the remote teams out and collecting data, you know, you know, basically doing like NAI kind of overwatch stuff. Right. And then following up on tips and, and doing that kind of stuff. Really incredible work. Uh, and again, learned a lot of lessons. We took a different track. That program ended around 2018, maybe 2018 is when it finally went, went, went down. Uh, and then we basically just went under at that point. We totally went black 
<laughs> and we have worked all over the continent at this point, uh, looking into wildlife trafficking networks. Uh, I think, um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we, we formed a partnership with National Geographic in 2018. We helped them with a lot of their wildlife crime investigations in Africa. One of my dearest friends and closest colleagues uh, inside the organization is their lead uh, wildlife crime reporter, just a fantastic human being, uh, Miss Rachel Bale. And together we have just like been on the trail. Uh, it's, it's been incredible. And for me, I feel fortunate enough uh, because I hit kind of a crisis point uh, around 2017. Uh, as you can imagine, we've got these couple really big programs going on. I'm like, went from being a field guy, now I'm an admin guy. And I'm just like, ah, man, this is not really happening. Right? And wow. as, I, as I started to slow up a little bit, things started to catch up with me. And, and we had a particularly painful uh, uh, event take place, uh, and I believe it was in mid-2017, we lost one of our rangers in Kenya. Uh, and living through that process and just understanding the lack of, air, I mean, just, it, they're basically fighting like a paramilitary type war, right? And so when they die, it's a soldier going down, and but there's no VA, there's no... There's no grief and loss support, you know, rally around this family, this community. And this individual happened to be a, a, like a breadwinner for the community. And going through that experience and realizing there really wasn't anything I could do, it just, it was like, that's when I started hearing the voice of like, man, you've got a lot of stuff you haven't dealt with. There's a lot more to this than just chasing bad guys. There's a lot more that's important to get done in this space than just putting guys back down like there's a like a a, a a spiritual aspect to this right like these are these are men and women who are going out there every day on the front lines in their own country getting shot at to save animals right and I just there's something so profound about that it, and of course brings up a lot of stuff from my own uh, time in the in the regiment and afterwards and that's when I would say the idea of I'm think I'm supposed to pursue some kind of mental health thing really started to crystallize. And then it was the birth of my second son in 2017, where it became crystal clear to me. Like I can continue to go live in the bush and keep chasing bad guys. I'm 35 years old. Uh, I, I might have three or four more years left of this before I, my body just gives out. Uh, or maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another way I can support this fight that doesn't require me to be away from my boys or my wife, uh, doesn't require this constant rip through our family of dad's gone for two months and nobody hears from him. Uh, and that's when the basically my wife and I sat down and were like, I think I should go back to school to be a, a mental health guy. I don't even know where I would start. I don't know, you know how I'd even get there. And we both sat down together and decided we would put, you know, write a list out of five cities, if we could live anywhere in the country where we live, and Denver was on both of our lists. So that's where I started looking for schools. Had the uh, the great, like the best luck in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I applied to six or seven programs out here thinking, you know, I'm a lock, you know, I've got all this experience right here. Denied admission to every program except one. And that program changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. Regis University has been 
I mean, when I think about experiences in my life that I am truly grateful for, even as painful and hard as they were, it's almost like the regiment. I am so glad that that place broke me the way it did because it made me a better version of myself. And Regis is very much the same. And they're the Regis Rangers. So tell me there isn't some synchronicity there, right? Uh, but that's really ultimately how I came uh, to this point. And then it, it was very much about healing my own stuff to start. But in the process of doing that work, it has become this, I get this overwhelming sense that this is what that feeling was. I need to get this skill so I can go back and help the others. And when I think about going back and working with vets who want to be counselors, it's very much a, this is the calling. Uh, but I don't even limit it to just veterans. I'm working right now on designing some programs for mental health wellness in South Africa. Uh, where we can go back and help the wildlife rangers because there is nothing there. And I mean, what they're trying to do and get it off the ground, it's important. Uh, and if all I could ever just be is an advocate for that, then I'm fine with that too. Uh, but I have very definitive ideas of how I would bring mental health to the, to the conservation core. Uh, and after living and eating and sleeping and, you know, rocking with these guys on a daily basis, I, I, I'm, I feel like I understand that space uh, in a real fundamental way. And uh, so the idea is I want to bring it back to the, to the, to the wildlife rangers as well. And, and that's really, I think that's where I am at this point. <laughs> what, a journey. Yeah. What, what a journey and what a level of self-awareness to be able to pivot and working with your wife to be able to make those decisions. So for the listeners, as, as we come to a close, Timothy, tell us, if somebody wants to learn more about what you're doing or the Wounded Healer Project, they're interested in becoming a counselor, what's your advice or how can they sure. can best connect with you? Well, sure. And the floor is yours. Sure. Uh, so we, uh, again, we're in the beginning stages, so all this stuff's getting laid down. Um, but we are going to have a website up next week where folks can visit woundedhealerproject.org. Uh, you can visit, you can connect with myself or Tegan on there. Um, what we are really hoping to be able to do is provide a forum for mentorship, Q&A. Like, I mean, people are going to have a ton of questions. What's this like? What's this work like? What's it going to cost? Where, you know, where should I take this? I mean, we're on the other side of it now. And, and we have a lot of that information we're happy to share, willing to share. Uh, uh, and then the, the other piece is when we, when folks are going through and that's the, that's the crux here, right? It's, it's one thing to get all the information, sign up for the courses and all that kind of stuff. But it's another thing when you're 15 months into this graduate program and it's shattered you because it has taken you back to all those things that you got to get resolved before you can hold space for other people. That's where I, I really think this idea and this concept blossoms because that's the hand. That's the hand that's going to reach out and pull you forward because you got to get through this. It's like a ruck march. It's like anything else. Like that's where the concept shines. And I think that's where Tegan and I will be particularly um, excited to, to sit in that space and help folks get through. So the, the woundedhealerproject.org will be online here uh, shortly. You can find me on LinkedIn under my name uh, or other social media platforms. If anybody's got a question, uh, probably won't put my personal cell phone out there, but if we get to that point, you can always feel free to text me. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and any other contact information I could leave behind, I'll, I can leave my, my email address with you if you want to put that up uh, afterwards. Tony and folks can feel free to reach all, out. All good, Tim. I think between LinkedIn, 
and following what you're doing. If somebody wants the information, they're going to be able to get it. We thank you very much for coming on a more elite podcast today, Tim. We, we look forward to checking in uh, as you kind oh, of progress yeah. on this journey and please share your successes with us. There, there's not a better career profession for, especially for leaders in our military mm-hmm. who care about the service members to go get clinically trained, to get licensed, and then be able to fill a gap that we know that's there. That's why you're on today. This is this 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 is a great path in continued leadership yeah. for someone who served in the military, and it's needed. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Tim. We appreciate you being on. You have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it, brother. We hope you enjoyed a Morley podcast with Tony Main and our guest, Tim. Tim, thank you so much for, for being on today. You can view or listen to past episodes of a Morley podcast at TonyMain.Popping.com. Thank you to St. Luke Church for its commitment to the Ranger Outreach Center. And be sure to check out Three Nails Clothing at ThreeNailsClothing.com. Until next time, set the example for for others to follow and leave it better than you found it.